Welcome to the first ever episode of the Prole Podcast. This episode, we bring in Dr. Bree Strang. Bree is a doctor of physical therapy that specializes in pain management and education. In this episode, we explain why pain is so much more than just a physical sensation. And we talk about how physical therapy clinics of the future will also incorporate psychology. So without further ado, Dr. Bree Strang. <laughs> hey, Bree, th- thanks for uh, being the first one. Uh, we're we're going to figure this one out. Uh, want to start the Pearl podcast off by thanking our sponsor, Neckrite. Our friends over at Neckrite have created a inflatable, uh, basically what it is, it's an inflatable cushion that you can put on your lap. It has uh, armrests that go inside, and what it does is it brings your phone, your tablet, or your book up to neck height, so it helps uh, correct your text neck because that is something that is killing everyone right now, especially with stay-at-home orders. So if you go to neckrite.com, N-E-C-K-R-I-T-E.com and use the promo code PROL, P-R-O-L-E, you'll save 10% at checkout. That's neckrate.com, promo code PROL, P-R-O-L-E, and you will save 10% at checkout. So, Bree, welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Uh, We go way back, so thanks for being the first one. We've talked about doing this for a while now. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe that it's actually happening. I know. Never, never would have thought uh, back in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, that we would <laughs> <laughs> later in life be doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know where the world is going to take you. Uh, never so know. we, how long have we known each other now? We've known each other for what? Fifteen Gosh. years. I would say fifteen at least. Fifteen, sixteen yeah. years, and I know. Um, I, I was kind of thinking back before we did this, I was like, I know my route of how I got into, you know, exercise and, and personal training and all that type of stuff. But I was interested to hear what was your route? Like, when did you really start thinking like, Hey, okay, this is the the avenue that I want to go down and spend my life, uh, helping people. So it, it's kind of a boring story, I think, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll try to jazz it up. Um, okay. When I when I was in, I think my freshman year of college, so I never knew I wanted to be a physical therapist, which is what I am today. Um, probably until I had it was just a, a serendipitous opportunity for me to get a summer job as a as an aide. So the people that help the therapists in the clinic. Um, yeah. And so I got that as a summer job in addition to one of the other jobs I had, just kind of like, yeah, like, sure, why not? Um, Didn't really know what PT was about or what I was getting myself into, but it was a job. And I said, yes. Um, And through that job, I obviously learned (laughs) what physical therapy was and what physical therapists did. And, um, you know, without, I don't, I think that it sounds kind of corny, but I think PT found me in a sense because I wasn't looking for it. Um, but I realized it really suited my personality in terms of, you know, it being such a dynamic workplace, working with people. Um, I've played sports all my life. And so obviously that goes hand in hand with injury and exercise and rehabilitation. So that was kind of how it happened. And then I, you know, that next day I was like, how to become a physical therapist. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, looked at the courses that you had to take in undergrad in order to, you know, get into PT school. And they all seemed really interesting. I've always been a very science-minded uh, person. 
And so that next semester I started my journey and here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh. so when you did that summer intern job, uh, I'm assuming then the person that you were underneath kind of showed you like th that was someone that showed you how PT <clears throat> can actually be. Cause I remember I'm thinking back, you know, my story was similar, but different. M mine was three knee surgeries in high school, lots of time in physical therapy clinics uh, mm -hmm. my physical therapy route was go see the physical therapist one time when you first check in, they, uh, measure your flexion of your knee, then never see them again for another six months. And that my route was, I don't think this is what physical therapy is supposed to be like. Like, I don't think this is right. I think totally. there's a better way to do it. And so kind of exploring different options. So did you see like, how it could be done and how it should be done? Or was it more? Uh, um, you know, I think at that point, I wasn't even on that like level of awareness that there was good and bad PTs. I do remember that particular job and the internships that I had thereafter. The PTs did spend time with their patients, but I know that it is a terrible thing that happens where people like yourself have this experience with PT where it's kind of, you know, a five minute chat with the therapist and you go in the corner, do your exercises and leave. And that really just comes down to healthcare and insurance companies, which is probably a whole separate podcast. <laughs> yeah, that might be a whole um, nother rabbit hole. But uh, even, yeah, definitely another rabbit hole for sure. Um, but that exists. And I think I was fortunate that I, I saw, um, less of that and more of just like the the connection that you can get with your patients and just seeing you know somebody go through their plan of care and they're seeing their physical therapist more than any of their healthcare providers and usually their PT knows way more about them than their surgeon or their you know whatever other MD has uh, referred them um, but you know I think since then even so it's my kind of idea of, of physical therapy has evolved and continues to evolve. Um, it's such a, a broad profession. There's so many ways that you can be an effective physical therapist for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was kind of my next question is right. Is you talk about, Hey, physical therapy found me, but as you and I know, but I don't know if a lot of people know physical therapy is very, very broad, right? <clears throat> like you yeah. can be, uh, what I think most people know it for is just, Hey, I got knee surgery. I got to go see a physical mm -hmm. therapist. Right. Totally what else can you do with physical therapy and what else do people do with physical therapy? And then specifically, what do you do with physical therapy? Like, and, and what is your route? Yeah. So I'm, thank you for giving me this opportunity to let the people know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what physical therapy is. Um, so it, it is very broad. Um, you can, when you become a physical therapist, you can go in one of several routes. Um, the most typical route is probably what you and I think of as PT and what most of the population does is, um, you know, your outpatient orthopedic physical therapist where they work in an outpatient clinic. Um, you go there because your doctor probably referred you either before or after surgery or in lieu of surgery sometimes. Yeah. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Um, and, uh, that's, like I said, probably the, the general what society thinks of when they think of physical therapists. Um, they also usually think of us as the doctors of pain and torture. <laughs> 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 Can sometimes be which, true. 
Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes, sometimes you need that pain and torture. Sometimes you do. Um, but aside from that, you know, you have physical therapists that work in hospital settings um, with neuro patients. So patients who have suffered spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, stroke, um, even, you know, PT in the ICU is actually something that not a lot of people think about or know about, but there's a whole uh, sector of PT and physical therapists that work in ICUs and, you know, get the patients who are, you know, intubated, um, obviously now with COVID, get them just like upright or prone or, you know, however they need to be, um, which is a whole other level of physical therapy that I am very thankful for those therapists, but that will never be something that (laughs) I'm interested in. Um, it's uh, way, it's really heavy on the medical side of things, which is cool. Um, and then, you know, you, I feel like those are, there's subspecialties on subspecialties when it comes to PT and, you know, so you have that side of it, but then you also have the therapists that have kind of branched out into the more, um, I guess, holistic or, mm-hmm. uh, wellness realm. Um, I think you're seeing more of that with PT, um, a lot of states and, um, I think kind of the physical therapy businesses that are on the kind of edge of progression have moved that way. Um, and a lot of the states have allowed, or all of the states have allowed direct access. So you can see your therapist without a prescription from a a physician in all 50 states, which is interesting. And when you say, uh, they're moving in a more holistic direction Mm -hmm. and the ones that are trending in that direction, like, what do you specifically mean? Um, I think like it all comes down to marketing, but a lot Mm -hmm. of these therapists are, um, like, I think in a more umbrella term, considering themselves like wellness coaches, it's like, Hey, I know that you might not be hurt right now, or even if you are hurt right now, let's keep it that way. Um, and you know, incorporating depending on what state you're in different, uh, treatment approaches. So, you know, sadly in California, you can't, but other states you can dry needle, which is kind of similar, not kind of similar. I take that back. (laughs) You probably just offended a lot of dry needlers out there with where you were about to go. I'm more more worried about the acupuncturist because those are the, that's the lobby that we fight to be able to dry needle. Um, but it's same needles, but different school of thought. Um, but you know, and it's more, I think, from that, like, hey, let me be your your wellness coach instead of just the person that you come to because your doctor told you. Um, let me be your almost like primary care triage person in a sense, where it's like if you sprain your ankle, you know, your first call can and should be to your physical therapist uh, so that you avoid having to go to your primary and then maybe an ortho. And then now it's like six weeks later and you still haven't gotten treatment because of all the time it takes. Just come to your PT first and yeah. you have that like ongoing relationship. Um, so that's. And from like, what I know and correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the old school thought process was you had to go see your regular doctor and uh, get a referral to then go see a <laughs> physical therapist and I think that was mainly because PTs used to only have masters, correct? And now all physical therapists, it's a DPT, doctorate of physical therapy. So you are, yeah. I mean, you're doctorate level, you're Dr. Bree, it's right? Dr. Bree, yeah. Can, <laughs> that yep. can be that first point of contact. Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, uh, the direct access that I was talking about earlier. So I'll just use California since that's that's the state we're in, but 
every state it has a little bit different of a practice act, but in California, um, you, you know, your mom, your brother, your sister, whoever could come see me uh, without a referral from their physician. Um, and most insurance companies, and when I say most, I mean PPOs because HMOs are a whole other ballgame. But anyway, uh, most PPOs allow you to go and they will reimburse for your therapy without a phys- uh, physician's referral. Um, but that's only limited to 15 days or 15 visits or 45 days or 12 visits, 45 days. Gotcha. So there are limitations, but in states, um, I know in some states across the country, there are no limitations. Uh, so that all comes down to lobbying and silly things in Washington, DC. Yeah. <laughs> things that we're not going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, it did move that way when they um, made all of the programs, doctoral programs. And would you say that, you know, we'll continue talking about California since that's where we're here that, you know, Hey, 12 visits, 45 days or whatever it is. Can that be a realistic, like good starting point for someone that has that acute pain of, uh, I sprained my ankle or I tweaked my low back. I, I, I can almost guarantee you this is what's going to happen because we got Thanksgiving coming around the corner. <laughs> That's, uh, there's a bunch of people pulling out 35 pound turkeys out of their oven oh, yeah. and yep. there's going to be a lot of low back strains and people are totally. going to be like, what do I do? Totally. Um, and they're the ones that could go see the, the PTs. Yep, absolutely. And I think, and when we talk about, you know, injury, like acute injury, right? Like this is an important thing to think about. Um, when my patients come to see me within a week or even less of their injury, I am, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but usually those patients get better well within that 12 visit guideline. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, and so for those patients, yes, I think that's very reasonable. Um, because what we'll I'm sure talk about later on in the podcast is, you know, when you get hurt and you're, you're injured a lot of times because of the, the healthcare system that we're in and the lack of knowledge in society about how to handle and deal with injury is by the time they're actually getting some sort of care, they're already in that chronic, uh, you know, state of injury, which makes, it a lot harder to recover from. Um, but yeah. like you said, if they're coming to me acutely, like absolutely 12 visits, I would say is more than enough. <laughs> yeah. And so I let's jump into that and talk about that. Cause that's going to be the meat and potatoes. You really specialize in pain, right. And pain management. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the big problems that's happening right now, right. Is like, first off, people, how do you, for, here's my first question. How do you even define pain? Like what, like I know what it is, right? Like totally. if I stab myself, that hurts, right. that, that is painful, but how do you define pain? Totally. So I knew you're going to ask this. So I have the definition, the, um, that the international association, uh, for pain has defined pain as, so I will read it, but pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. So really what that's saying is that it's an unpleasant sensory experience, which I think most of when most of us think of pain is what we think of. It's, it's, uh, it feel, it does not feel good in like, right. You know, that sense, but it also, 
there's an emotional, uh, you know, an, an emotional uh, aspect to pain as well. Um, and that is a lot of what I try to do and try to help my patients understand is that pain is not black and white. It's mm-hmm. not cut and dry. You can have different types of pain and for different reasons. Although, and as we get into the podcast, this will become more relevant. Um, at the end of the day, and like what the bottom line is and what I try to emphasize early on to my patients is that despite all of these things that we're learning together about pain and what I'm explaining to you, your pain is real. It's 100% real 100% of the time. I think sometimes people, they start to hear these things about pain and they're like, well, you're telling me it's all in my brain or all in my head. And, you know, your brain does decide when you're in pain, but that doesn't mean that it's not real because you're still experiencing those, those sensory or emotional experiences, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, and that does. And that was one of my other questions, right, is pain for so many people looks so different, right? Uh, Especially when you're talking about, I think a lot of times like that chronic pain. I know personally, right, like I've had low back, I've had the chronic low back pain, classic chronic low back pain off and on for 15 years, right? Since freshman year of high school, playing football, couldn't bend over to tie my shoes, right? Right. Have flare-ups along the way. Um, And for me, I know the steps that I need to go through to A, prevent it, but then also B, what works for me to get out of that pain. Totally. Um, And I think the the important thing is, like what you just said, is you know that you can get out of that pain. Right. And so that was like my big question is like, how come for some people – Like I can get out of my pain, even though it's been chronic for 15 years, whereas other people, it's been chronic for 15 years. It's been chronic the entire time. And they've seen a bunch of different specialists. They've like, they've gone down, but but they just haven't been able to get out of it yet. Like what is happening and what are steps that they could potentially take? Obviously, you know, you're not treating them, but like, right, right. So I would say step one is see a physical therapist, <laughs> but, but specifically one that understands um, the pain experience and understands what pain is and specifically chronic pain, because it is a totally different animal. Um, and just so, you know, so for the listeners to understand when I say chronic pain, it's mostly to differentiate it from acute pain. So acute pain is, your typical, you know, you're walking down the street and you stepped off a curb, sprained your ankle. Um, you know, it feels better in, you know, the next week to two weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. chronic pain is any sort of pain that persists outside the normal, uh, frame for tissue healing. So most soft tissues heal in, you know, six to eight weeks, depending on the tissue. Um, and that usually should correlate with a decrease in pain. But when that doesn't happen, that's when you kind of enter this chronic pain state. Um, but for the, the patients in chronic pain, just understanding that, I think, can be helpful. So finding somebody, a healthcare provider, whether it's a physical therapist, a pain management doctor, um, they have psychiatrists who specialize in pain um, to help them understand, you know, what what pain is. Um, but the most important thing that you'll see in the research and, you know, even with 
dealing with these patients in my experience is that person has to be ready and willing to want to understand it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I've had a lot of situations where I've, I've gotten really pumped up about pain and I want to like deliver all of this educational information to my patient because I know it will help them. But if they're not in the right mindset to um, receive and accept and try to understand that information because they usually so deeply identify with their pain, mm-hmm. then it's not going to work. And so um, I find that it's a, a, with those patients in particular, it's a long process in getting them to, to kind of break the narrative that they've been told um, and that they've been living with their chronic pain. And what's the narrative that you see getting repeated over and over and over again? I think that people need to try to break the cycle of. I think it starts with um, just sadly, sorry for any physicians who are listening that disagree with me. <laughs> but I don't worry, I'm not that important that, that <laughs> physicians are actually gonna listen. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> please let's have a conversation (laughs) if you are listening. (laughs) Um, But, you know, working in an outpatient clinic, um, I I think it's two things. I think one thing is the internet. I think the second thing are physicians because the majority of people who are in any sort of pain, the first thing they do is Google something that is WebMD. Right. Self-diagnosed cancer. That's what we're doing. I mean, I, I thought that I, you know, had this terrible GI issue and thought maybe it was cancer last week, but that's what the internet does to me. So, but like, <laughs> turned out, it was just a tummy. And you know and better. <laughs> I know better. It's like, I get it. It happens to everyone. Um, but I think that the internet is, you know, uh, one source of uh, where a place, one place where people can get a lot of misinformation about their pain. Yeah. Um And then the second, I just did this the other day. If you Google chronic pain, it says that it is not treatable. It cannot be cured. Like Google literally says that the first thing that pops up for chronic pain. And that makes me so sad. That makes me so sad. And my mission in life is to change that. But anyway, um, I think the second uh, part of the, the narrative that where patients are receiving it and it needs to be broken is through their physicians, because the majority of the people after Googling something, they make an appointment with, uh, whether it's a primary care doctor, um, an ortho, a pain management doctor. And I know this because I've met with all of these providers and we've had discussions about pain. Um, and they're telling them, okay, your back hurts. Just take some time off rest. Don't lift anything above 10 pounds. Also, where did that come from? Like, where did that 10 pounds come from? Like, right. You no, know, like it's just it's just never done a, a strength test with them. Don't right. Know what their and mobility looks they're like, like they're like no bending, twisting, lifting, and it it immediately instills this fear in these patients, and that drives so much of how they move. And over time, their movement patterns change, and then the relationship between their their joints and their body and their muscles and what their brain is telling them they can or can't do because of this fear of pain also changes and once you're in that the body gets really good at being in pain and you get really good at compensating and avoiding these different movements when in reality after six weeks have passed and you haven't had any sort of traumatic injury like a bone fracture or a true lesion to one of your soft tissues, you can probably start to reintroduce some of these movements that 
you know, were once painful into your life. Um, but I think that people, I mean, I have so many patients that come to me and it breaks my heart that they're like, well, the doctor told me to, if it hurts, not to do it. And these are the chronic pain patients. Um, right. acute pain, pain is good. Pain is a warning signal. We love pain when it's acute because it's like, Hey, don't do that just yet. Cause you're not healed. But when right. it's chronic, <laughs> when it's chronic, you know, pain, it, it's, it's a broken alarm system. Um, and the analogy I use is, you know, when you're in chronic pain, it's like a loud motorcycle that drives by your car and sets the alarm off, right? Because pain is an alarm. That motorcycle that drove by didn't do any damage to your car, right? Nobody was breaking into your car. It's just a super sensitive system now because you've become so sensitive to certain movements uh, because you've stopped doing them or you're fearful of doing them, if that makes sense. And is that what, when people say, oh, I have a high pain threshold, is that what they're talking about? Is that kind of alarm system and um, sensitizing that? Or how, I, I guess my, my real question is, for those people that are in chronic pain, how do you make it so when the motorcycle drives by, the alarm doesn't go off, right? Because there is no damage. Totally. Totally. So I think that... Um, first and foremost, like education always, because even just putting into that context and having patients understand. um, That's very easy for me to wrap my brain around. Totally. To to be like, oh, okay. Like I'm not just by bending over. Yes. I might feel some pain, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be laid up for three weeks. That's just like, I can understand that it's my sensory system system starting to go. And it's, it's super sensitive because for a good majority of your life, that has been something that has elicited a pain response. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, it's a real pain response. It's just that your brain is now super sensitive, um, just like that car alarm is. And it's, you know, they use the term broken. I don't like to call anyone broken, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of it, like I said, education, understanding it in that way and like drawing a parallel between that analogy and maybe my patient's pain so that they can be like, oh, okay. Like I'm starting to wrap my head around why I constantly hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Another phrase I like to use is uh, it hurt, not harm. So it's okay to hurt because it doesn't always mean that you're harming your tissues. Um, and then you know, that's, again, all that, the edu- there's so much educational uh, material and so much education that goes into these patients. But I think in a simple sense to start to desensitize that alarm system is you start to, intru- you, you try to pick apart their, their fears of movements and their um, aversions to different movements because of pain. And you slowly, they call it graded exposure, graded activity. But, you know, say somebody has 10 out of 10 pain when they're bending over to, you know, tie Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, let's go with the most classic yeah. one, right? Like, yeah, the bending over. Back pain, bend <laughs> over. Okay, bend over and you're like, ouch, that hurts. Um, you know, some strategies that I'll use is, you know, I'll a lot of times have a patient on the table, right? And I'll do a nice little hamstring stretch and I will bring a mirror and I'll say, hey, look at, you know, the position of your body. It's you're still in that, you know, that kind of flexed position. It's just, 
a little bit different, but you can still get there. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, they can see that they see their body doing this and they're like, Oh, so like, that's part of it. Like visual feedback. The shape looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, from there it's like, okay, so let's take your baseline level of pain. Like right now where you at and it's like, okay, I'm at a five. All right. So what we're going to do is, uh, I'm going to put this, you know, two pound dumbbell on, uh, table and the tables maybe, I don't know, like mid thigh height for them. And you're going to do, you know, five reps of just bending forward to pick up that. And I'm not, I'm not cueing them on biomechanics. I'm not cueing them on technique or form. Like I just want them to bend. Um, and we, you know, we get done that. It's like, okay, like where are you at? And they're like, Oh, I'm at a six. And I'm like, that's okay. When you get to an eight, that's when we're going to stop. Um, and so, you know, we lower the, the height of that and it's until you, you slowly reintroduce this movement and the patient stops associating that movement with such severe pain. And you do that kind of little by little and inch your way further and further down until by the end of, you know, however many it's a scale. So it could be sessions or weeks, but that patient's now lifting, you know, 20 pounds up off the floor, no problem, because they've slowly exposed, uh, their tissues and, um, their joints to these forces in a very controlled, safe scenario. That's letting their brain know like, Oh, like this is safe. Like I can do this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh wow. It's not going to freak out every time that I do this. Yeah. And that's a, that's a lot of it. That's kind of the, the, and you can get as specific or as broad as you need to. Um, but that's, the overarching theme is just progressive loading and, you know, exposing the tissues to the loads that they need to be exposed to in a controlled way that doesn't send them into this crazy pain response. So it's, yeah, it's really specific in terms of like <clears throat> my education to those types of patients is really specific. Um, I, I, in fact say like, you know, it's, it, you, we have to kind of touch into that, that pain a little bit to, to let your body know that like, it's okay. And sometimes I'll use the analogy of getting into like a hot tub. Like at first it feels really hot and unbearable, but then over time you get used to it. And it's kind of like the same thing that your body goes through when you're exposing uh, them to these different exercises or loads that they were once very fearful of or avoiding of, um, as you know, but then on the flip side, when you think about acute pain patients, like everything we do actually should not hurt. So it's, it's really specific, um, you know, acute versus chronic. Yeah. And, uh, how come, uh, how come there are some, what, what happens when, you know, we have a, uh, an acute pain patient that then turns into a chronic pain patient, right? Like we never had these issues before. Right. Um, and, I. I would say, you know, most times that those acute pain people, they get out of pain relatively quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's those mm-hmm. cases where it, it then just continues and continues and continues. And how come yeah. some people with the same issue, it stops at acute and other people, it just keeps going. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good question because it happens and it happens, you know, all the time. Um, I think you have to consider 
uh, that, right. That emotional part of that definition, right? Like what, what's going on, you know, this person, they got hurt. They're just not right. It could be like one of three things. They're not healing. Um, maybe there's something else I'm missing, like a red flag, right? You go through all of those, you know, that we learn in school for, you know, is it something more uh, that needs more serious medical attention? Um, you know, what's going on in their life? Have they just suffered a loss? Are they, did they lose their job? Are they going through a breakup? Um, is something else playing into like their pain experience and their injury? Um, or sometimes, you know, you get an acute injury and it, if they're not, Cause I think I see it happen most with like younger athletic people who maybe like injure, like sprain their ankle and then they don't get PT um, or they get PT. They come for a few visits. They, you know, listen a little bit to what I'm telling them to do, but then they go back out before that healing time has kind of passed and they go from zero to a hundred and they kind of keep re-exacerbating the same issue and injury. Um so I, I think those are the reasons. I think the reason that we understand the least and, you know, need to kind of talk about more and be more cohesive as like a medical uh, field is the, you know, that emotional part of what might be happening. Yeah. And I think uh, I was interested to know that you said that there's psychologists that specialize mm-hmm. in pain. Yeah. Uh, because I, that's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're like people so deeply associate with their pain sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, Mm -hmm. it's almost like for some people, it's almost like a badge of honor, right? It's like, I'm a a low back pain person and look at how well I get through life, even though I have all this low back pain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you don't have to always be that low back pain person. Right. Right. You can, you can change who you are and you can change who you, the, what you identify with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know I even fell into it and I, I, I've been in the field for years and years and years and I was like, Oh, well, I'm just, you know, (laughs) I have low back pain. It hurts every time I run, I can't make it more than a quarter of a mile. And so therefore I, I can't run anymore. Right. Um, yeah, you ran 10 miles. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, getting back into going to see even me knowing what, at least somewhat knowing what I'm doing, you know, I go back yeah. and see PTs and I'm like, Hey, what should I be doing? And luckily I have a bunch of friends. So it was Tanner, he was like, no, you can do this. Stop, stop like telling yourself that you can't do it. You can do right. it. Totally. Um, we just got to step you into it. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's like that, that's the piece of the puzzle that I think a lot of therapy, like physical therapists are, are there, like they're getting it. Um, because you know, pain science and pain, I I didn't graduate that long ago. It was only four and a half years ago, but we didn't learn about this. Um, I think now in school, they're starting to teach a little bit more and with, you know, the, the beauty of Instagram, right? Like there's so much educational information out there that I think it's being introduced into like our society as a whole. Um, and just like understanding that, like, I don't have to be this person with chronic pain if I don't want to be, um, you know, there are, there's so many layers to it, but you know, part of what I hope to achieve sometime in my life is this kind of treatment model where you have like the physical therapist, 
the M, the pain management MD, and then you have the the psychiatrist. So you have that whole biopsychosocial model of treatment as opposed to the biomedical model that we're so used to, which is just, you know, here's some medicine, here's some nonspecific PT and be on your way. And you'll probably see me for the rest of your life because we're not really helping you. (laughs) Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. How has, uh, one of my big questions when COVID hit was Mm -hmm. how do physical therapists continue to help patients through pain management, doing it like this, oh right? Because yeah, in in California we couldn't go see anyone. I don't even right. I don't know if you know you've been seeing people in person now, but especially at the height of it, it was mm-hmm. uh, very locked down. So all hands on manipulation that's out the window. Yeah, right. Uh, totally. Then you add on emotional stress because of lockdowns mm-hmm. and furloughs and all that other stuff. So yeah. it just gets more and more onto the patient. And yeah. so how can you, uh, how can patients, cause this kind of goes into my second question is how can people that are in chronic pain that are especially in very rural areas of the United States, go seek out real pain specialists and mm-hmm. pain management people to get out of their pain totally. when they don't want to drive 300 miles one way? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there was definitely a moment of crisis, right? Because I work, you've been to my clinic. It's a very, right, we do manual therapy, you do exercise. And now suddenly I can't do my manual therapy. When when I first started as a PT, I was like, my hands are God and I'm healing everybody <laughs> with my hands. Um, but in reality, you know, and you try to get so specific with the different, you know, techniques that you do. And this is not to like shit on any manual therapist because I think there's so much value to it. But, you know, I what I've learned through COVID and through reading the research is that manual therapy is is it's a source of the way I look at it, it's a source of desensitization to the tissues, right? Like, yep. so it, it's important. And I think to an extent, I will always, you know, when I can do some sort of manual therapy with my patients, if it's indicated, but I now know, I think I always knew, but I now especially know after going through COVID and not being able to do that with my patients and just having like this kind of interaction, Yep. that it, it's not 100% necessary. Um, and so what I, why I think that, so virtual PT has, it's been great. I've had super surprisingly good outcomes with my patients um, through virtual PT. And I think- For a lot that, of the chronic chronic patients or more yeah. acute or um, both? Or? Both, both. And across demographics, um, so old, young, middle-aged. And I think it's for a few reasons. I think mostly for the chronic pain patients, um, number one, a lot of what I do anyway is patient education. And I can do that like this, right? Like we can talk through pain and movement like this, and I can very easily demonstrate, you know, different movements or um, exercises like this. Um, And I think number two... (laughs) I've had so many patients and I only say this because of my patients is that they're like, wow, my expectation was really low for like virtual PT. <laughs> yeah. but like I actually feel better. So I think part of it's like an expectation is like <laughs> if they weren't expecting. If you set the bar so low, yeah. there's only one way to go. 
Yeah, because a lot of them are like, well, you know, I wouldn't get the massage and, you know, whatever. But so I wasn't expecting to feel better. But it's like, you don't, you don't, you don't need it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's kind of uh, two of the reasons. And the third reason is I think that it gives the patient a huge amount of like self-efficacy, right? Like it's totally active on their side of things because when they come into the clinic and when I say active I mean they are doing everything for their rehabilitation and that gives you like a sense of agency in your healing and um you know again that like confidence that you can help yourself and not rely on somebody else and I think that's a huge part of it um because when they come into the clinic you know that yes they do their exercises but it's you know, they have the the rehab aid taking them through, setting them up for the most part. The therapist, you know, they're laying on the table for half of the treatment. The therapist is, you know, working on them, doing whatever. Um, and yeah. And you still have an eye on them. You're yelling over to them as they're doing their exercises. Yeah, yeah. So there's a huge safety net. Totally. And I think when you take that away, um, the expectation changes, but also the outcome changes because like I said, they're fully reliant on themselves. And when they do their exercises, and even if it's just, you know, that one or two times a week that we're meeting virtually, I'm not even talking about a home exercise program. Um, right. You know, they, they're like, oh, like I can make myself feel better, like because of me and I'm not relying on anybody else. And I think healthcare in a sense, it makes you feel like you have to rely on all these specialists and whatever. Yeah. I also think too, like you said, you know, when you start as a PT or, you know, when I was a massage therapist, I saw, thought the same thing. Like these hands are gold. I better go get them insured for a million dollars. Right. Yeah, totally. um, But the patients also have that same expectation, right? Is that I'm going to come in, they're going to put their healing hands on me and I'm not going to have to do any work. And I'm going to be healed. But the reality is, is that if you don't want to be that I'm a low back pain person anymore and you want to get out of it, there's a lot of work that you're going to have to put in. So much work. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I don't care how many Zoom sessions you go to. I don't care how many massage therapists, dry needling sessions, whatever it is that you think works for you, you're the one that's going to have to put in work eventually. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that I've had from the virtual is like, you very clearly see that that's how patients are thinking. Um, And I I feel like that's the shift that needs to happen in society and their views of physical therapy or like other types of therapies like massage therapy, um, that they can't rely on somebody else to get them better. You know, I will, I will coach you through it and like, we will get through this, but you know, you have to be ready to understand, you know, one, your pain, but two, also to like actively put in the work to do it. Cause I mean, a lot of the behaviors that people fall into, especially with like fear surrounding movement, um, if you don't break that in your daily life and you know, you come to the clinic, that's great. I'm having you do all these things, but then you revert back to those same like fear avoidance uh, movement, you know, tendencies, then 
it's going to take us a lot longer to get there. So they always have homework. They're always, you know, doing things at home that, to follow up what we've did in the clinic. And it's, a, it's mindfulness in a sense too, which is where I think a lot of the like psychosocial stuff comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really interesting if you could, uh, create that, that type of model, right. Mm -hmm. Where, it especially exists. if you can wrap in that, that, uh, psychological element. Cause I know for me mm -hmm. personally, right. That's such a, that's one of the, the drums that I try to beat on the hardest is, uh, yeah. you know, take care of your mental health. It's just like, if you have low back mm -hmm. pain, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You go see a physical therapist. If you have, mental and emotional stress, go see a therapist, right? Totally. Like go, and yeah. a lot of times they intermingle, right? Like Absolutely. you're, you're stressed out and you have pain. And so let's go talk to someone that can help you yeah. through both of those. Absolutely. And I think it's super important because what I'm realizing is a lot of what in my, in a perfect world and in maybe this lifetime, I would love to see physical therapy, a dual degree of like psych and physical therapy because like what I do 90% of my day is talk to people and talk through pain and about pain and you know about their life and what else is going on and if yeah. I, at first it was just like okay like this person's just telling me about you know their life but now I'm like this makes sense because they're now telling me all of these little things that I'm and even like the language they use it's like, I can tell that this is playing into like their pain experience and their injury. And yeah. I'm, I was not trained as, you know, a psychiatrist. Um, you know, you have to take some psychology courses to, you know, get into PT school. But other than that, you don't apply it that way. And I think it needs to be applied that way, or you need to be able to work very closely with a pain psychologist specifically for the chronic pain population. But nobody does that. And it's frustrating. There, there yeah. are some, some people do do that. There are clinics where it's, you know, it's, um, uh, what's the name of it? I think Functional Restoration Institute, where they, it's that model, which is great. But I think that needs to be the norm. Yeah. Is it, the, the problem is, right, is that we're still at a very early stage of just regular psychology totally. being accepted, right? Can, right. Like, we can't even talk about that at the dinner table still right. in a lot of places, right? Yeah. We need to be able to just have open conversations about like, yeah. hey, yeah, I go see a therapist. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Totally. It uh, needs to be destigmatized de and so that people feel comfortable, like you said, not only getting normal therapy, but therapy specific to their pain. Um, yeah. I'd, I what? have brought it. Oh, go ahead. No, uh, no, go, go ahead. Um, when it, when it comes to that though, I've found that a lot of my patients, my, the ones who, you know, have chronic pain, um, and I'm talking, you know, the 10 plus year people, um, when I bring that up and let them know that that's even an avenue they can explore, they're usually like pretty excited about it too. Um, you know, they're not, I, I don't bring it up right away, obviously, cause then most of the time they're like you're sending me to a therapist, like what the right. heck. But, you know, after I've developed that, that therapeutic alliance with them um, and that trust, they're like, that's amazing. I never knew this existed. Why did nobody ever tell me about this? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just found out that it was a real thing like 20 minutes ago. So yeah. <laughs> I, I had zero clue. And that was honestly kind of, so my next question was, is, uh, where do people go to look for these specialties? 
Um, because what I've realized is that, especially with physical therapists, that classic physical therapy, um, there are some certifications, you know, some, some letters you can look for behind a name that'll say like, okay, this person has a pretty good understanding of like what's going on. Yeah. But I don't know any of that for chronic pain, right? So are, are there yeah. resources that people can go to to be like, oh, check out these types of people? You know, I there's not any sort of certification where like you could attach letters where you'd be like, oh, that person is, you know, specialized in chronic pain that I'm aware of. Like there might be, but it's not like a norm, like the OCS or CSS. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, there's not, I don't think there's a good resource. I, what I would say to patients, you know, obviously not mine cause they're seeing me, but <laughs> to other people who are seeking care is, you know, start with your lo- like Google, your local physical therapy clinics, right? Like maybe you could do physical therapy, chronic pain, um, see if there's a clinic that is that, but I, I bet you that there's not. Um, and if there is, that's your, that's your answer. But I also think calling, right. This is like the putting in the work part that nobody likes to do, but calling your, you know, maybe five therapy clinics that are close to your house and asking the front, like, do your homework. Like, do you, I have chronic pain. Do you have any therapists that specialize in chronic pain? And a good clinic will know what you're talking about. And they'll be like, yes, we do have this person that specializes in chronic pain because they know like what that, like they know what it is. It's not, you throw around these terms and yes, it's very general, but like when you say like, I deal with patients who have chronic pain, it's like, Oh, okay, like you understand pain. Um, but aside from that, I think it's hard. And it, because it is such a different type of PT than what a lot of people are used to. And I think the other sad thing is, is that these chronic pain patients have gotten PT it wasn't by a, pay, a PT that understood their pain and they had a terrible experience. Now they're totally averted to coming yep. to PT. And because their doctor then told them to not do PT if it hurts. When in reality, like we talked about, sometimes you have to have that little bit of pain to desensitize. So like, ugh, there's so much to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. And that's where, man, if only there was someone that you could talk to about all of it, that would yeah. help us. <laughs> help totally. you out emotionally mm, to, to I, right. navigate through that right so you oh, yeah, can even... be you can be the first dual psychologist physical therapist and create your own specialization for pain to go behind for pts that's your I there's might. your million dollar idea i might just have take, to do that i'll only take 10 percent for, for putting yeah it all together fair. for you that's fair thank you thank you for talking me through my next uh, journey in my career <laughs> no problem <laughs> I'm going to put zero work in towards it with you, but uh, I, ex- I expect royalty checks. Well, it's on, it's on the, on the, on the record. Cause yeah. One <laughs> um, of the, uh, one of the other questions I have for you, cause we were, we were talking about this a little bit as we were running a while ago, uh, but really with uh, kids and pain Yeah. and um you know, I think one of the things that I've, I noticed, especially working with uh, younger athletes is I've watched them go through a, a movement pattern, mm-hmm. right? Like a squat or a push up or a jump mm-hmm. or whatever it is, like a running pattern. Totally. And then I work with their parents and I'm like, oh, no wonder 
that's how you squat because yeah. you're just you're just mirroring what you see right. and your parents move like idiots and so now you move like an idiot and now I need to fix everything right 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 it, do you see that similarly with kids and the way that they talk about pain absolutely um I think that it's right this is a part of that like biopsychosocial aspect of pain right like the social part their family the people that they've grown up with right you start to adapt similar behaviors thought processes surrounding certain things and pain is one of them and you know I've had a handful of adolescent patients who I know are are you know yeah she was a cheerleader she tweaked her back like it hurts it sucks um you know, but I have full confidence as long as there aren't any underlying red flags that she will recover and get better and get stronger and we'll work on her strength and whatever we need to, um, to get her back to cheerleading. But, you know, when she's talking to me about her back pain, it's like, oh man, you know, well, my mom has back pain too. And now we both have back pain and, you know, she's had it for such a long time and it just runs in the family. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's, yeah that's a lot to come out of like a, you know, 12, 13 year old's mouth is that pain runs in the family. Um, Right. Now, now she's also identifying (laughs) as that pain person, right? She's joining the team. Yeah. Totally. And I've, I've seen this happen with, you know, a younger lacrosse player and well, my brother, you know, he had disc herniations in high school and now I'm in high school. So now I have my disc herniations and my dad had them too. And you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> I don't even know how to like handle this right now. <laughs> um, and so it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, I don't want to say, I guess it's kind of a learned behavior slash thought process. Um, and it's like, that's if they have a parent that has dealt with chronic pain and it's been a part of right, that narrative in the home, um, then of course, you know, that's going to be how that kid thinks. Um, and I think that I've, I would feel like I'm stepping out of my scope of practice if I tried to like break that with that child to an extent, because, you know, I'll have light conversations about it, right? Like, well, why do you think that, you know, do you, is your back always going to hurt? Why do you think that it's always going to hurt? Did you know that your back is actually really strong and, you know, you can do these things. But I think that's a, that's that psycho social part of it where it's like, okay, like, I think more kids and or like, right. Destigmatize therapy. Let's just go to therapy. Let's talk about it. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even kids. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I can't wait for my, my kid is going to be straight in therapy from the time they're like five years old. Absolutely. Just, let's just prevent the issues. Right. That's what I said. I was like, you know, if Hitler went to therapy, <laughs> maybe we wouldn't have the Holocaust. I don't you know. know. <laughs> he, maybe, he just needed someone to talk to, Exactly. but it, it's, uh, it, it's so true because I think, like you said, right, is what you hear. Uh, one of the things uh, that my therapist has told me in the past is, uh, "Hey there, Greg." <laughs> this um, is gonna be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a nice little guest appearance by yeah. Mr. Gregory. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, oh, oh, but it's uh, what my therapist was telling me is that mm-hmm. uh, 
your perceived reality is reality, mm-hmm. Absolutely. right? It, it, and so if you perceive that uh, I am, we're a family of pain people and everyone mm-hmm. has pain and it will always be pain. Or I come from a family that has always been overweight. They all have diabetes. They're all smokers. I was born into, you know, uh, this type of neighborhood, this right. socioeconomic status, right? This is, this will always be the same. Now, I'm not right. saying that people don't need a helping hand up to get to the next level, totally. but that's, that's part of that, that, uh, realization is that yeah. just because this is where you are right now, doesn't mean that's where you always need to be. Absolutely. Again, circle back. It's going to take the work. Yeah. I got to put in the work, but you can yeah. get out of it. Totally. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's, there's so many layers to like all of that. Um, but the, the biggest thing I I think that will make a difference is just even like Googling, you know, chronic pain, right? Like if we could change that narrative for like the kid that maybe is curious and then when they Google that and see that, like, that'd be huge because right now when you Google chronic low back pain, I, I, I do believe that there are like more and more, you know, resources that lend to like what we're talking about that, like through pain science education, through, you know, um, uh, seeing a therapist, whatever it may be a PT, like you can be helped. But I think for the most part, it's that narrative of, well, this is just how you are. And, you know, this, I've heard this, um, you know, it's, it's genetic, right? Like back pain or, yeah, uh, you know, it's genetic and it's when you deconstruct that, like, is there any research that says it is genetic? So I think where that comes from is, you know, when you think about soft tissues and like body types, like the yeah. pliability of your tissues, um, the like struck the actual like physiological structure of your tissues whether they're like more elastic or less elastic I think there is some research that lends that to be true um but I think people kind of put that into like this I think there was one study that I read about like disc degeneration and that there can be like a genetic component to it but like everybody's discs degenerate (laughs) it's a part of right aging you're a human yeah right (laughs) like and it I I forget that what the study actually said but there was some like you know uh it lended to the fact that there was like a genetic link to like the I don't know if it was the rate or like how severely the discs degenerated but there was a genetic link and I think people whether it was one doctor who then said it to a patient who said like people take these like broad uh, statements and then they're like oh well pff, you know my my mom has degenerative disc disease so do I and it's like everybody does just depends whether or not you're symptomatic right now right. <laughs> or, ev- yeah. or ever you know and I think like there there are studies that have shown zero correlation over and over like well 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 researched uh, studies on MRIs specifically for low back pain and the correlation to pain. And so like, that is what I always try to like get to and circle back to with some of my patients. It's like, yes, you can have an MRI that says you have a disc herniation and I can have an MRI that says the exact same thing, same extent. And for some reason you're symptomatic and I'm not. 
And so like the idea of like tissue damage correlating to pain no longer exists, right? Because it's been Mm -hmm. proven. Um, And that's the other thing. I think patients are over-medicalized in the sense that they get this imaging and it then tells them this terrible thing that they have this disc herniation, right? And what do do we all know about disc herniations? And like, yes, disc herniations, they can be symptomatic and they can create, you know, issues in terms of nerve pain, weakness, and like, but not all the time. And I think patients will like get caught up in the the image and what the image says and not really like look at their symptoms. Yeah. Um, it's that, it goes right back to that perceived reality is the reality. Yeah. Right? yeah. They, they perceive that just because they have some type of degeneration, well, that must mean right. that I am in pain. Right. That right. must mean that I am uh, going to pass this down and, and all those other things. And I've seen, and like, I don't know if this has been studied, um, but like in my own experience, I've seen patients where they've had like shoulder pain or something. And I'm like, you know, like it might be a rotator cuff tear, but like, I, it's, you still have some strength, you still have some function. It's not going to change my treatment. Like, I don't think it's really necessary for, you know, you to go seek additional care, get, you know, an MRI or whatever. But then, you know, lo and behold, for whatever reason, they go back to the ortho, they're still not a hundred percent better. So the ortho gets orders an MRI and that patient gets the MRI and it reveals, you know, small or mild tear, which like, again, has been shown through the research can heal conservatively. Um, but then the patient comes back to me after getting that MRI result. And it's like, Oh God, my rotator cuff is torn. You know, like I have a tear, like it hurts so bad. And it's like that whole thing, right? Like I've just seen them shift and change because now they know, now they know for sure there is a tear and it's like messing with them. And I get it. Like I, who knows, I might be the same way if that happened to me. It's a hard thing to like grasp, but that's when my job becomes really hard because now I need to deescalate, right? These like uh, catastrophizing um, ideas surrounding their pain. And um, and sometimes, you know, it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it's just, it's again, just a part of that like overall like underlying narrative that I think we can change um, and do a better job at of yeah. professionals. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, Hey, what is, uh, the last word for people that are in pain, people that are in chronic pain? What do you want them to, to know? I want them to know that it is not, not curable as Google will tell you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is that a double negative? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was very elementary school grammar. <laughs> not, not negative. <laughs> That was terrible. That's um, all right. People it, get it. <laughs> um, you can get help. Um, just because it hurts doesn't mean that it is causing harm. And our bodies are strong and resilient. And a physical therapist can help you very much. One who specializes in chronic pain um, to get your life back like in a very serious sense. (laughs) Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Well, Hey, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah. This was awesome. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk about pain. Yeah, of course. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye.